Would you like to be able to build a phenomenal team and have great team success? Stay tuned for my very fun and very entertaining conversation with Gita Nedkarni as we talk about unicorns, mindset, core values, and all things team success. Hi, Shannon Waller here and welcome to Team Success. I am particularly excited because today I have to join me in conversation, Gita Nadkarni, who is just a like-minded soul with me. <laughs> so it is so fun. She really means her biggest fan. That's really it. Thank you. I appreciate that, Gita. And I'm excited because your company, your program is Impact with Influence. So if anyone wants to check out Gita afterwards, impactwithinfluence.com is where you can find her. And you've just finished a book, which is super exciting called How to Live Your Vision, which I cannot wait to get my hands on. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but we're going to jump in because I'm going to have you introduce yourself in just a moment. But team success is something that you have just ingested into your mind and your heart and your team. And as someone who is a very successful strategic coach client, who is building her self-managing company, who is looking for great who's, I could not wait to actually share a conversation because we had so much fun in our last one and to record it because putting together a really effective team is not an easy thing to do. So I just appreciate all the work and thoughtfulness that you put into it and the fact that you like the tools that I provided makes my day, obviously. But before we jump into that, Gita, let's let people know who you are in all of your fabulousness. So who's Gita? What do people need to know about you? <laughs> who am I? So I work with people who are geniuses at what they do. So coaches, therapists, people who are able to create amazing transformation have done so for themselves and are now doing it for others. I help them systematize. They, often people will do it in reaction to like, oh, someone brings me a problem. I know how to fix it. I have all these tools, but they don't know how to processize and systematize their genius so that they can scale it. That's where I come in. So nice. yeah, I can pull your genius out of your brain, help you create a system around it, learn how to message it so that you're authentically sharing what it is you do. You're able to articulate it in a way that gives your ideal clients goosebumps. And so then they basically sell themselves on you before they ever get to a sales call with your team. And then you're off to the races. Great. And how long have you been doing this for? So I've been online for seven years now. Jeezum. Like it's been, yeah, so, uh, yeah. It'll be eight years at the end of the year. My original program, so the backstory to this is I've been writing since I was 12. I got my first paid writing gig when I was 12. I actually started writing when I was 10. That That's a whole story. And then I've worked in the media my whole life. So I did television, radio, print, web, you name it. I've worked in multiple countries, multiple formats. I freelanced, I was on staff, all of that. And so when I had my son almost 10 years ago, I basically realized I was done working for the man. And I really wanted to get out of the quote unquote sausage factory that media can sometimes be, right? I just, I didn't have any juice left for that life and for putting more fear out into the world. So I was like, all right. And I was like, crap, what do I do? All I know how to do is tell stories. How the heck am I supposed to monetize that? It turns out it's a fairly lucrative skill, but I didn't know that. So if you're sitting there listening to this right now thinking, man, whatever I've got isn't good enough. I will tell you this, if you look at it, really, really look at it, you will be shocked at how much you already have. And that was my big awakening. My first program was called Baby Got Booked. And I taught entrepreneurs how to impress busy producers and editors and get mainstream press. I've helped clients get themselves their own columns in Inc. and Entrepreneur. I had my own columns there too. You know, outlets like Huffington Post get featured in the New York Times, Forbes, CBC, ABC, BBC, you name it. We had a 96% success rate. So everybody pretty much that worked with us got big press. And at some point when I had my second child, almost five years ago, <laughs> I had a crisis of faith. And I was like, oh, I'm noticing everybody gets press but not everybody gets the business growth that's supposed to come with the press. Mm -hmm. And I'm extremely binary. I can sell anything I believe in and I absolutely cannot sell something I don't believe in. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, oh God, am I a snake oil salesman? Like, how did this happen? This is not okay. And so 
thank God, my I was very, very sleep deprived. Like my baby kept waking up every 40 minutes. So I was like out of my mind with fatigue, which is good because I didn't have any willpower left, which was really helpful in that context. Because what I did was I surrendered to it and I thought, okay, what can I do? What would a journalist, so my journalism muscle memory kicked in and I picked up the phone and I interviewed my most successful. So 20% of my clients were building multi-million dollar businesses that they directly attributed to what they learned from me. And I was like, what do they know that I have not figured out? Because I was not running a multi-million dollar business yet. What have they figured out that I don't know yet? And, you know, how come they can use my system better than I can? So I picked up the phone and I interviewed them to within an inch of their lives. First three people I spoke to, I was in despair. I was like, oh my God, they're all different, different genders, different ages, different products, different, different everything, different industries. What the heck am I supposed to learn from this? The fourth person, it all clicked. And I realized there was a pattern. They all had a particular kind of mindset, a very success oriented mindset. They knew how to learn from mistakes they were not people who needed it to work the first time. Mm. This was very important. They also had very clear messaging. This is the part that I helped them with. They had sales systems. Most people didn't. And they had a premium product program. So almost everybody that I worked with, we had luxury realtors all the way through coaches and consultants, but nobody sold for under $3,500. So think about it. You get on press and you have a $20 book versus you get on press and you have, you know, a $10,000 program. Each of those people made two sales. One of them is going to end up with a multi-million dollar company. Yes. And that was my big aha. So I built impact with influence for myself Mm -hmm. because that's what I wanted and that's what I needed and processized it. And now that's what we help other clients do. Very cool. That's a phenomenal entrepreneurial story. And one of the things that I love that you said is that you interviewed, you know, your top clients, which is one of the wisest things I think any business owner can do, especially if you're in that crisis of faith moment, you're like, what am I doing? Why am I doing Why am, am I, I doing, doing it? Mm-hmm. Who should I be doing it with? You know, like all of these questions. And that happens to everyone who is growth oriented, who's been doing what they've been doing for a while you hit that point. You're like, you have to do a little recheck, like a reset almost. But you've so clearly articulated all of the things that you found in common, despite the diversity. And the diversity is wonderful because it means that it works over here and over here and over here and way over there, right? So that's actually affirming only if though, if you can figure out the central pattern. Yes. (laughs) Without that, it's quite challenging. So what a great list. And I love also that the first thing you talked about was mindset. And I coach on this all the time and I keep getting reminded for the millionth time how critical mindset is. I was telling you, I was talking to this awesome entrepreneurial couple earlier today and it's just like, you have to have a team that's actually sharing your mindset. There's some people you cannot be a hero to. They just don't resonate with you. It sounds a little bit esoteric and energy wise, but think of it as a radio frequency. You know, someone's not tuned to your channel, they ain't picking you up. And that's exactly what has to happen. So you put out what you want at that frequency and the right people dial in, and then you've got an awesome match, which I think is, you know, Dan Solomon talks about this a lot, but that success mindset is so key. And they don't need for it to work the first time and they're willing to learn from mistakes. Those are people that will grow and develop, not looking at you as a transaction, but really looking at you as a relationship. So yes, we'll dive into team success in just a moment, but those are just great entrepreneurial lessons right there. Mm -hmm. I love how you pick things up. The frequency piece too, like that is something that I have developed as a process. So it's so funny because, you know, Shannon, we've joked about this. You and I are both high quick starts, right? We're both nine quick starts. Process isn't our first language. And short follow-throughs, I should add that. (laughs) OMG, yes. And short follow-throughs on top of it, right? So this is definitely something that I feel is almost the opposite energy to how I'm wired. But the more I lean into it and the more I combine my ability to start things and see things and vision, the faster success comes to me. So the like process has become my obsession. It really has become an obsession for me because I'm seeing so much. If I can just add a little process to the amount of get up and go that I bring to the table, it's just like, it just takes off. It's crazy. So you said something that I wrote down, which is, you know, it's almost like it sounds esoteric or it sounds like you have to put out the right frequency and then people pick up. And yes, 
let's say you don't believe in the law of attraction because I'm a huge, I was, I am, I don't know where I stand. It depends on the day. Huge law of attraction skeptic. Yeah. Okay. So let's just put that on the table. Thank you very much. Huge and skeptic (laughs) in the same sentence. I know. I struggle with it because I'm like, but then children and cancer and tsunamis and shit, how do we explain that? You can't. But that doesn't mean that there isn't some truth to the frequency piece. So my first book, actually the book that you referenced, How to Live Your Vision, is all about the process that I use as a law of attraction skeptic Uh to understand my deal and call in the right people. Nice. Yes. Because what I have come to realize in entrepreneurship is that it will break. Like you might as well get t-shirts. It will break. When you think you've had it figured out, it will break. It's like parenting and marriage. It's like the same deal, right? Like right when you think you figured it out, it will blow up in your face and kick you in the crotch and then like run around yelling, no, 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 no. Like that's just how it works, right? <laughs> so <laughs> That's why I love talking to you this so much. I'm just laughing out loud over here. Oh my gosh. It will break should be the motto for every entrepreneurial company. And I think that team members need to know this too, because they're a little bit more habituated to the thinking pattern of, let's say, corporate or bureaucratic organizations where stuff's not supposed to break. And if it does break, someone's head rolls. It's no, in entrepreneurial companies, it will break and we might be the ones breaking it. Just saying. 100%. Yeah. So it just make that normal and you're fine. Exactly. And to me, where things get really juicy and interesting is what do we do when it breaks? Right. What do we do when it breaks? That's the question that I ponder the longest. I'm doing quarterly books just like you and Dan do. And it's all your fault because you totally inspired me because I'm a huge Shannon and Dan fan. But the second book is called The Power of Ponder. And it's all about really tuning your subconscious to a better question. Because if you're stuck, it's only because you're pondering the wrong question. You've pointed your consciousness and your problem solving towards the wrong thing. Sometimes a 1% tweak in the direction that you're pointed in will just move you through. Well, yeah, if you think about 1% at the source, we'll end up being somewhere completely different, you know, 20 miles down the road, 20 kilometers down the road. So yes, that's very powerful. It sounds like you believe a lot in the power of questions, yes. as does Dan. One of my favorite quotes, there are many, he says, the brain can never ignore a question. Mm. We're really good at ignoring answers. Anyone raising children will know this, but the brain has trouble ignoring a question, especially it sounds like the right question. Exactly. Talk to me about the right question. How does one know? So I call them ponderisms. And it's funny because book three is most likely going to be a deck of ponderisms, a deck of cards that you can literally shuffle Mm -hmm. as part of your daily ritual and then just pick a question that resonates with you. The way I look at it is you're pondering. Pondering is a slow energy. So especially if you're an entrepreneur, you're going a million miles a minute. It's like boom, boom, boom. Every day there's fires to be put out. There's people wanting things from you. There's, you know, things to be developed, deadlines to chase, et cetera. And you just go so fast and so hard all the time that you're constantly having to get check-ins. Either you have to pay to slow down. You literally have to like pay a Dan Sullivan or pay somebody to open up the space where you're like, well, I just paid crap tons of money for this. Now I have to show up and actually sit and think, right? And there's huge power to that. And Dan is a master of ponders. And he's very good at asking great questions, which is what I love about him. However, once a quarter is not enough. Like you cannot live your life pondering once a quarter. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. What I love about pondering is that, first of all, it's something every human is equipped to do. And you don't have to take my word for it. Show, not tell is, you know, I'm a journalist through and through. So you got to show and not tell. Here's the proof. All humans are built in with pondering abilities. Go hang out with a bunch of toddlers. What will they do? Most of all, they'll ask why. They'll ask and ask and ask and ask because we are built of curiosity. We're built with openness. This is our natural state until a whole bunch of rules and negation and denial and a contraction has been put upon us. Mm-hmm. So this is like coming home. That's what I love about pondering is you're coming home to yourself. You're checking in with yourself. You are integrating the lessons that you learn. You are reflecting on what goes on. And I like to say you're pondering front stage and you're pondering backstage. Front stage means you're pondering a question consciously, which means you ask yourself the question consciously and you look at it consciously and you come up with all your conscious thoughts around it. But the real magic happens when you ponder the same question backstage, which means so the way I have our clients use it 
is I'll give them a ponderism. And it's custom to each client because when we work with them, one of the things we do in our program is we work one-on-one using hypnotherapy and NLP and like figuring out what is your actual subconscious block to a particular path that you've chosen for yourself, that you're trying to get to with everything you've got consciously, but it's just not working. What's actually holding you back? What are the breaks on the operation? Your breaks. We have to figure that out. So when we do that, I'll give them a ponderism to help unlock that. So nothing is forced. Nothing needs to be pushed through. It's nothing like that. So what will happen is they'll have a question. I ask them to put it on post-its in their bathroom, on their desk, at the bedside table, everywhere, where they're going to see it multiple times a day. And then they're going to ponder it. They're going to spend some time with it and whatever resistance comes up and then they share it and we help them with that. But they're also pondering it in the back of their mind while they're showering, while they're cooking, while they're walking the dog, while they're having a conversation with someone completely unrelated. And because your subconscious is attuned to that specific question, your conscious mind can only process a smidgen of the stimuli that are coming in at all times. But your subconscious mind is the gatekeeper of which pieces of stimuli get processed. And now it will start letting in the pieces that actually answer the ponderism. So if you're willing to ponder it longer, you will get a deeper depth, a richer depth of answer. I like that because your brain will filter through the most important things. You said one of my favorite words, which is to be curious, Mm. you know, and that willingness to be curious, to not think that you already know, to be open to a new possibility is so enriching. You know, there's a big difference between childish and childlike people don't seem to age when they can stay curious. 100%. You know, especially if you can stay curious about yourself, about your conscious, about your unconscious, about what you're pondering, that's very rich possibility. I can see you're not going to run out of ideas anytime soon for your book. (laughs) I don't think so. That's really clear. So I want to jump to your team for a moment because how, in Lord's name, do they keep up with you? OMG. So... It's a full-time job because my ideas have ideas. It's kind of crazy. Your ideas multiply and procreate. They do. You don't understand. It's like, it's a problem because yeah, it's a problem. So I've gotten really good at creating parking lots. Like I have attachment to the ideas because I'm like, oh, but these are my babies and I love this idea. So what I'll do is I'll park them. I love Dan's suggestion. I think he is similar in this aspect where he's like, okay, Now, when I'm evaluating ideas, I'm like, okay, what's the capability this is going to build in me long-term? What is the capability I'm excited to create? And if it doesn't really build a capability that I'm excited to create, then I consider it a flash in the pan. I also park ideas now. So I see, will you run out of color and juice while you're parked? Because sometimes they do. And then I'm like, okay, boo, you know, you're done. I'm done. But the ones that linger and the ones that evolve and the ones that find ways to plug themselves into the main thing, those are the ones that get developed. We run on EOS now. So we also have specific rocks that we set per quarter so that we know what we're sprinting on. And I've gotten very good at keeping my commitments to those rocks and, you know, prioritizing appropriately. So that really helps. Yeah. That's very cool. And do you use impact filters or fast filters as well? Yes. So it's funny. Yes, we do use impact filters. I like impact filters as a communication tool. Yes. That's that's my favorite way to use it. 100%. Yeah. Because when I was first using impact filters, I used to get really frustrated because I thought that I was supposed to use it as an evaluation tool. Like, does it help you evaluate the idea? But I would always talk myself into any idea that I put on the impact filter was always, would always be like, best, you know, I could see all the different ways that this would be amazing. And this is the best outcome. And then I'd be like, yeah, the worst outcome is I don't do it or something like that. I didn't find it useful in that aspect. So what I switched to doing is when I'm clear, I have other processes actually, again, that I speak about in my book, How to Live Your Vision. I have a want practice, which is somewhat similar to Dan's, which when I found out that I didn't know Dan had one. So I found out about that way later. And I was like, damn it, Dan beat me to it. What the hell? But then I think the way Dan does his want practices, he just wants what he wants because he wants it. And that's full stop. I have a different way of doing it. So what I look at is it's like, I want, and then I want whatever I want. And there's no limits or, you know, limitations of any kind, no denial there at all. But then I say, because I want to feel, and then I figure out what is my actual end goal? What is the state, the emotion, the sensation I'm trying to create? Mm -hmm. Like that. 
Yeah. And what's really cool about this and what's really interesting is now having done this one practice for years, I noticed that I have the same small subset of things that I want. Whatever the front end looks like, I might want a car, I might want a vacation, I might want a whatever that that looks like on the front end. The sensations, the emotions and the states that I go for, there's like five of them. What's one of them? I'm just curious. Support. Oh, interesting. Yes. I want to feel supported. I want to feel together. I want to feel connected. Nice. And then expansive is another one. So I don't want to feel trapped or curbed in my mm-hmm. excitement for something. Yep. That's really important to me. So I will always have support and expansion show up on my want list every single day. And what's really cool about it is because I know the end game. I know that what I'm really looking for is support. Now, when somebody comes to me offering support, I know to say yes. And I notice it in all the little itty bitty ways that things show up for me. That's why the book is called How to Live Your Vision, Present Tense. Because it means I'm no longer stuck waiting for some mythical, unreasonable outcome, I get to live pieces of the vision in the present, Yeah, even though they've shown up in ways I didn't expect. And if you like, I can read you a short excerpt from the book that speaks to exactly this, if we have time. Yeah, I love it. I totally love it. And I also want to talk about where the proceeds are going to, because I think that's pretty exciting. Yes. But thank you for sharing that, because I think A lot of people, it's kind of your why, a little bit of why you want what you want. And Dan's book is called Wanting What You Want, if anyone's curious about it. So thank you for sharing that, because I think that's true for a lot of us. It does come down to those core things. And the other point is you've learned to say yes when support shows up. And that, this is really the shift from being a rugged individual, usually an entrepreneur, but I have met some team members who would fulfill that picture in the encyclopedia, just saying. And you've learned to move to unique ability teamwork, which is really that saying, oh, you've got the talent, the capability, you can help me address this particular issue, this uncertainty. That's huge. And it's interesting because we get out of our ego into our unique capabilities. We get protected to stay there. You know, there's so many great things that happen when we open the door to that kind of teamwork. So note to self, as you're listening to this, because I don't know to myself too, is to say yes, not say no, because you think you shouldn't, or because you think that's not a fun job for someone else to do. If someone else is offering, take it. Yeah. And a part of my, so wanting is a piece of the practice. So I have, I call it the be more possible practice because it's a whole thing. It takes less than 15 minutes a day, but it's got a piece you do in the morning, a piece you ponder during the day and a piece you do in the evening. So the piece in the morning is your want practice. Like what do you want? And what is it you want to feel? Then during the day, I have reminders pop up on my phone. People have post-its that they use. They put their phone screen or their watch faces. They put these questions on their phone screens or watch faces. So the two questions are, what is the best and highest use of my time? Yeah. So it's a really good way to like, as you're doing tasks, you're like, is this the right use of my time? And you start to do it subconsciously. And that really helps open up the space for delegation, Mm -hmm. effective delegation. And the second question is, what help am I willing and able to receive? So you're putting your subconscious intention towards reception because asking is one thing. Wanting is one thing. Receiving, that's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned curiosity and how people who don't age stay curious. Part of the reason they don't age and part of the reason they're able to be curious. So if you're one of those people who struggles with being curious, I want you to understand why. It's because you don't feel safe. Right. You can't be curious if you don't feel safe. So for you, instead of forcing curiosity, a ponderism for you would be, what makes me feel safe? Mm-hmm. And then you just you ponder that front stage and back and you start to create those elements in your life. And the more safe you feel, the more you will be able to expand effortlessly as opposed to forcing it. Ooh, expanding effortlessly. Yes. I mean, you talk about safe and that actually, you know, because I like to read about teamwork as one does. And one of the biggest elements, it's another definition of the word trust, but is psychological safety. Of course. You know, Google's big study and it's kind of a new concept because it's really moving from just do what the heck I tell you to do into do you feel safe enough to share you know, your aspirations, an opposing viewpoint, all of those things. So I think safety inside first, and most leaders I know actually feel safer. The reason why they become a leader is because they feel safer than people who have not risen to that level. Because they have internal safety. It's exactly right. It's subconscious safety. So they're actually leaders will often get out there and take huge, crazy, you know, 
jaw-dropping risks. They have to. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're able to do that is because they internally, they have the sense of, I will land on my feet no matter what. Yeah. How do you build that? Well, you have to get in touch with your intuition. That's what this book is about, is to help you get in touch with your intuition. So even if you know how to do this, you can deepen and make a subconscious practice conscious. When it's conscious, you can control it. You can call it on command. That makes all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. So if you have a practice that you can use, that's simple. Anyone can do this. You need a pen and a piece of paper. Like That's all you need. And 15 minutes a day, like everybody has that. Then you can create, you're opening up the space to get in touch with your your intuition, like all the different ways that you move through the world, you might want something and you might notice. So the piece I didn't mention at the end of the day is you're receiving. This is where you notice the signs or synchronicity. So all the different ways that the universe kind of winked at you and said, hey, it's coming. It's coming. Be patient, right? The miracles that you've received. So to me, miracles are big and small. Yeah. So it's like I'm making the kids a sandwich and I'm like, ah, man, I run out of ketchup. And then I look in the cupboard and right at the back is a bottle of ketchup that I totally forgot about. That's a miracle. So I'll count that. But like our team closes a huge deal. That's a miracle. All of it, any shape, size doesn't matter. But when I notice all of these things, I'm now put into a natural state of gratitude. I'm excited about my life. I'm joyful. I give freely of compliments or attention, right? When people come to me, I can lavish them with that because my cup is filled. So I have a process for filling my cup. Who do you want to hang with? The person whose cup is full, who doesn't need anything of you, right? Who who has something to give. So it's just that. And I don't have to give anything specifically. It's just an energetic bounce. Like we talked about this, like it's so fun to hang with someone where when you bounce your energy off them, you get back more than you bounced, right? It's also much safer. My friend and coach client too, Carrie Oberbrunner, just wrote a great book called Show Up, Filled Up. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you don't have a process for doing that, you know, and I love that. I mean, and people are attracted to grateful, appreciative people and they show up and want to be their best. They want to be a hero to you. One of the things I really love about this conversation, Gita, is it's very much about the mindset of who you need to be to have great people want to work with you. Yes. You know, it's like, where are you coming from? Are you looking at the bounty that the world provides? I mean, Dan's expression, your eyes only see, your ears only hear what your brain's looking for. That's your evening practice. And if anyone's curious, Dan had a wanting practice just to describe his was a smidge different, but he realized after he got divorced and bankrupt on the same day, that he wasn't being clear on terms of what he wanted. Now he's someone with a huge amount of internal sense of safety. He's got self-assurance. He believes he's doing God's work in the world, all the right things. So that wasn't the problem. He just realized he wasn't going about it properly. (laughs) He wasn't being clear on what he wanted. And he said this in other places, so I'm not telling you anything. Some people won't already know. But he wrote down every day for 25 years, minus 12 days, what he wanted. Could be a sentence, could be a paragraph, could be a page. It was what he wanted. I'm not sure if he wrote in the feelings that he wanted or not, but it was amazing because he got very, very, very clear on what he wanted. And what he wanted ended up being Babs. It ended up being strategic coach. It ended up being the kind of clients that we have. Like he is so clear and he's so confident and he puts it out without any apology or, yes. or angst. It's not like, I want this. It's more like, this is what I want. And I'll tell you why the practice is so important. The practice of doing it daily does multiple things. First of all, when you start your day and you have written out what you want, it is easier when you're in conversation with others to articulate it because it's front and center. Your conscious mind has already thought about it, processed it, found the words to it, and you can now communicate it. It's just like, it's not actually witchcraft. It's, this is why it works. Again, I told you I was a skeptic, right? So there's this. (laughs) The second piece of it is, I will tell you this, most people don't know what they want. You run around with all this angst, this wanty, needy angst. And I say you, I really mean me, right? Like really, because we're all like this. And then if you sit down and be like, all right, so what do you want? You're like, I don't know, right? You don't really know what you want. Or you come up with a list of three really lame things or three completely unrelated that wouldn't change your life in the present things. Like it's really, I've done it. I'm telling you because I have lived this. And then I'm like, no wonder I don't have what I want. I wouldn't recognize it if it bit me on the ankle. That's the problem. So I was like, oh, well, my job is to get clear. I can't tell you the number of unicorns teamwork-wise that have fallen in my lap because I knew what I was looking for and I was able to recognize it. 
when it showed up. Okay, you have to tell me about some of these unicorns. Okay, so sales is a really difficult position to hire for, especially when you're really good at it, right? So I sell in a particular way. It's very non-salesy. We call it an epiphany session. It's about really getting crystal clear of showing, not telling the client, this is what the process looks like. Mm-hmm. You have epiphanies on the call and then you joining the program is a continuation of the process. Now, how the heck do you train that? And I ask honestly, because God knows I've tried. I'm able to train clients to do it for their stuff, but it's difficult when you're selling someone else's process, which a salesperson would be doing in our case. So for the longest time, I really struggled with this. The closest we ever came was hiring clients who then you know, sold for us part-time because they believe in the program, they'd gotten great results, they could share their stories, that really worked for a while. But then inevitably I would mentor them, they'd get amazing at sales, their programs would fill up and they'd bounce because they were too busy. And then I was like, oh, this is painful. Like, I, like, it's a great reason for someone to leave, but I'm getting really tired now. Yeah. So that was kind of the situation that we were in. And I got really clear. I was like, okay, what are the characteristics that I want when I'm going to be having sales meetings with this person? Like, what are the feelings I want to feel when I'm connected to this person? What are the feelings I want this person to evoke in our client base? What are the feelings I want this person to evoke in somebody to whom we don't make an offer that we don't invite to work with us or someone that we reject essentially, right? That we're like, you're not ready for us. Here are some resources you can use, whatever. Because we only work with people who are 100% sure we can help. And sometimes that pisses people off. So what are all of those things? So I got really clear about the qualities and feelings that this person evoked. Now, as I'm doing all of this, I get connected to a headhunting company that specializes in salespeople. So I take the leap, I drop the coin, I hire them. And I'm like, all right, send me some people. So the first few people they send me, I'm like, "Eh, not sure. Don't know. I don't know. No. And then they send one person. I'm like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. He hits every aspect. Like, this is amazing. We start working with him and I'm noticing I'm not feeling the feelings. He is perfect on paper. And I mean, perfect. But as we progress, I'm noticing my energy drops. I'm noticing I'm dreading the calls. I'm noticing like there's something not working here. Mm. And I know because I'm clear. And so I'm able to make a very peaceful firing decision fairly quickly, which is a really big multiplication by subtraction. Yes. Yes. Very. Yeah. Like, this was a very big difficulty for me before. Mm-hmm. I always believe in people. I want the best. I want to be their hero. I want to save them. I want. Blah, 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 blah. I have all of this stuff that goes on. And this time I was like, no, I know where I'm going and I need people who are fully on board. And this needs to be as much a fit for you as it is for me. And this is not working. I don't dread working with my team. The end. Yeah. How many people on your team, Gita? 12. Nice. Yeah. That's a lot. We've grown pretty quickly. Yeah. Now, yeah. do you have someone else doing sales? I do. Ooh. I do. So we found her. She's a former athlete. So she has that mindset. She has an incredible work ethic. And when she came in, she was like, okay. She heard some recordings of you know calls that we'd done that are part of our training process. And she was like, man, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can deliver an epiphany the way that you do. And I was like, all right, so let's break it down. But she is a great student. And because of her gymnastics background, she was all about specifics and nuances and process. So what we did, I mean, I'm telling you, I know like it's magic when you know what you want, it's magic. So she was like, okay, here's what I knew worked for me in gymnastics. I need just enough structure that if I'm having a bad day, I can muscle memory my way through it. I have goosebumps, right? I need just enough structures that if I'm having a bad day, I have something to default to. If I get lost, I have something to come back to. And because I have structure, I build the trust. We talked about safety. I needed to help her build safety that she had the basics covered so that she could then riff. It's only when you feel safe with your foundation can you riff effectively. Nice. So that's what we built. So we built it. And because we did such a great job together, we then passed that on to our clients. And now we have us coaching our clients and and their close rates are going up. Like everything that we learned, we were like, okay, we're going to pass this on and we're going to develop this further. I'm a long distance runner. So like we connected very much on the sports, the mentality piece Mm -hmm. also that really helped. 
I think she also brought that feminine energy that I think was missing before because there's a lot of like hard closes and that's so not our vibe. So it's a huge break from, you know, our front end messaging to then come to a process like that. It just wouldn't work. So that was part of our difficulty was the pool seemed ridiculously small. We're like, where are we going to find this unicorn? And for her, what was really powerful about this is her whole life, she has been on teams where she has had to dim her light. Right. Right. She has had to dim her light because she doesn't want to outshine and threaten people and so on. And here she can shine away and everyone more than keeps up and we all inspire each other. There's no competition. It's really healthy. She's like, I have been looking for you a long time. And I was like, I've been looking for you a long time. And that's that feeling. My heart is expanding as we're talking because you know, great team members are looking for great entrepreneurs with whom to work. And no offense, but if you're having trouble finding people, Dan said this today, like, are you a great person to work with? Are you a great company to work with? I mean, we have a very rigorous hiring process and people compliment us. They go, it's long, but wow, I learned so much about myself. You guys are really thorough. We take it really seriously. So they better be taking it seriously too. You know, people are looking for great companies to work with. And I think when you have that awareness, it is, I don't know, there's something magic that happens. I mean, this is a difference between unique ability organizations and anything else, right? Because so our unique ability model, right, is unique ability in the center, then excellent, then competent, then incompetent. And the circles get bigger as we go out because as individuals and frankly, as organizations, there's a few things that we're unique at and many more things that were either pretty good, but no passion. That's excellent. We're adequate or okay. That's competent. And then incompetent, frankly, we were just not put on the planet to do those things. So let them go to somebody else. But a lot of companies operate in that competent excellence zone. There's no room for uniqueness. So as your person, you know, if you're unique in that kind of company, they flick you out. You are unpredictable. You know, now most organizations, I could make some derogatory comments about people who do tolerate incompetent, but not that many anymore. (laughs) I think that's becoming less and less. But when you can be an organization that's focused on attracting people who are at the minimum excellent and hopefully also have a passion for their superior skill, you are going to run circles around everybody else if that's important to you. If not, you're just going to make an expanding, ever-increasing, fast impact on the world, which is what you're doing. So just to relate your experience with this unique ability context, it's powerful because you start attracting unique abilities and unicorns, which most people would love to have, but no idea where to find them. And no idea what to do with them when they come. Because if you don't really know how to nurture a unicorn, then then it becomes problematic because one of the things that has happened with unicorns are fast growth individuals too. So they get bored easily. If it's status quo, same old, same old, they're going to bounce. So that's where I'm a huge believer that no matter what you have that you think is your problem, it's your strength. Mm -hmm. So my ideas, having ideas, it was a problem. Like in some contexts, that absolutely is a problem because it's just, it spreads you too thin. The team's exhausted. Everybody's burnt out. It could be a problem. But because my ideas have ideas and we have so much fuel for growth, (laughs) we were able to like already, you know, this person on our team is developing a whole sales specific program that is going to be something that our clients can purchase separately, where we're going to go much more in depth. And she's going to bring that unique ability and grow this just the way that you did with team. Like the whole team program didn't exist before you joined Strategic Coach. So she's developing that. And that has created a lot of excitement for some of the other team members who were like, oh my God, like I wouldn't have been able to lead it, but I have X, Y, and Z to contribute to it. So it's created excitement and growth and a place for people's passion to go to. So they see where they're going to be. Like the same question that I ask myself is like, what is the capability I want to build over 25 years? They're able to answer it in the context of the company, which is why they're likely to stay. Otherwise, I'm just going to develop them and they're going to bounce. Yeah, that's so, so, so powerful, Gita. And it's interesting because Babs has always said, our company is going to grow, going to grow on the basis of the capabilities of our team members. You know, so there was room to create the team programs. There's room to be really, really good at what you do. And I was scared, you know what, but it worked. And that was 26 years ago (laughs) this year, which is kind of amazing. It just gives people a much bigger future. And you're willing to expand your offerings 
based on the increasing capabilities of your team, that means everyone's growing. And I don't know how an organization grows externally in the marketplace unless internally the people are growing as well. I have no idea. I don't think you can have a plus one and a minus one. It doesn't end up with a multiple there. You end up at zero. So I think it's critical to help grow your team members. I want to talk a little bit about how you've used team success. And then I want you to introduce people even more explicitly to your book. So let's talk about team success because that was one of the ways that we connected. So how have you used the team success handbook, the thinking in there? Tell me, how has that been useful to you and you growing your self-managing company? So it's funny because when I first started this business in like 2014, I had $300 in my bank account. I was just coming off of maternity leave. And I had just had a failed entrepreneurial venture. So, you know, good amount of shame there as well, you know, just for fun. But I had this idea and I was like, I know I'm a quick start. I'm a hair on fire. I'm like a 96 visionary. It's painful, right? It's like, it's a strength in some contexts, but it's a weakness when it's unsupported. My best and biggest strength is actually a weakness if I'm unsupported. Mm -hmm. So that was a big, like, I didn't have it with this level of clarity back in 2014, but I sensed it subconsciously. So I was like, okay, I need to have someone to be my boss. I need to have somebody to manage and focus my energy because my brain doesn't work that way. But you give me a little bit of structure and holy hell, I have so much chutzpah. Like I can get up and go and I can do whatever. So I remember I met this girl, Juniper. She came to us because I was helping her nonprofit. She was one of my beta testers for my program. We just clicked and I was like, hey, let's do a walking meeting. So so this is something I've been doing long before. I have a treadmill desk now, but long before it was cool and before all the cool kids were doing it, I used to do walking meetings. So if I ever had in-person meetings, I'd invite them to go for a walk, which I love. And if you're even slightly ADD, like it really helps ground your energy. It helps you think. But what's really delightful about it is most people are like, oh my God, this is so nice. I've never done this before. And now they start doing it. So it's contagious. So own your crazy. The more you own your crazy, I swear to you, the more you will attract people who want to own their crazy and want to put their crazy together with yours. And that's just where the magic happens. So Juniper took a pay cut. Had we done a regular sit down in a cafe, regular ass meeting, Maybe she'd have joined me and maybe she wouldn't have. I will never know. But because we went on that crazy walking meeting and we had all these ideas and we connected so deeply, she took a pay cut to join my fledgling company of one that had $300 in its bank account, but she didn't know that. And I owed her 500 at the end of the month, just so we're clear. Even at the like super duper pay cut, right? That's all the money I had. And I was like, okay, okay. I was like, but you know what? If I don't hire her, I will never be able to afford her. So I was like, all right, Juniper, this is the plan. This is what we have to get done. Now help me systematize. And that's where it started. And by the end of the month, we had made our first three sales. And I was able to double her hours and quadruple her pay. And we never looked back. Oh my God, I love that. I love, love, love that. And it's interesting because you knew that you needed a who. I did. I did. And it's interesting because when you have more extreme Colby profiles like we do, we can be incredible powerhouses if or when we have the support. Otherwise, we're kind of like all over the place. We're a puddle. Yeah. It's like pouring water. Like we're a waterfall. That's what I see. We're a waterfall. And if we can't find a glass, we end up a puddle on the floor. That's a great analogy. So now sounds like she has an entrepreneurial attitude too. She was willing to take the risk. She had patience and compassion, all the 12 different characteristics. So what else is true in terms of building your company, in terms of team success? So one of the things that we looked at is, I mean, recently we did our core values. And I think that that, you know, just having clarity and being able to communicate it and call it out has been really powerful. And it's interesting, Shannon, because obviously you talk about it in the context of work, but we use core values in our family culture as well. So when we notice, you know, at the end of the day, we'll ask everybody at the table to share something that they noticed and that they appreciated about somebody else at the table. Mm -hmm. So everybody has to speak. Everybody has to pick at least one other person at the table that they say, hey, I appreciated when you did X, Y, Z, whatever that is. Nice. And then we're able to name whatever the action was and say, you know, that's beautiful. You embodied X, like you embodied going above and beyond. You embodied team spirit. You embodied enjoys the work, for example. And then there's this repetition and I'm doing it for myself because as a leader, 
I need to know this inside and out. This needs to become subconscious muscle memory. But I see how enriching it is, even in the context of family, because now the kids know what the values are. It's not vague. It's not unclear. It's crystal clear. There's high repetition, which all children learn. I mean, all humans learn best from is high repetition, but there's context. So for example, one of my favorite conversations that I had recently is I do a lot of art journaling and I'm really, we make messy paintings and things like that. And we'd done these paintings where we were staining paper with coffee. My husband had to leave the house because it was really messy. (laughs) It was really messy. And then just to make things interesting, I brought out a bunch of ink. So that was like, extra super duper messy and staining. And my daughter spilled some, of course. And my first impulse was to freak out. And I was like, oh crap, we have a white table and there is a lot of red ink on it. And I opened my mouth to be like, oh my God, what did you do? And then I was like, okay, that's okay. It's okay. We, we're fine. We can clean it up. We make a mess. We clean it up. That's what we do. We make a mess. We clean it up. And so then we clean it up. And that evening at dinner, she gave me the biggest gift. So I said, what is something you appreciate about someone else at the table? And she said, mama, I loved that when I made a huge mess this morning, you didn't shut the body down. Really? And I'm like, she's four. That's amazing. I'm like, wow. She was like, yeah, you helped me clean up and we kept painting. I really appreciated that. And I'm like, this is it. This is why I do what I do. This is amazing. I win. Like getting goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes to team focus, right? Where somebody who were willing to stretch for the betterment of someone else on the team. So that was me stretching to be like, her well-being comes from her ability to be curious and make mistakes. She made a mistake. Now, am I going to freak out about it and instill fear of making mistakes? Or am I going to show up with emotional intelligence and create that space? Not the easiest, let me tell you. I almost failed that test. I opened my mouth to yell. And then I managed to keep it together. And I'm so grateful. And because she gave me the appreciation back, which is grateful, which is another of our team values, because she pinged it back to me, I own it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it's cemented. It's been repeated. It's been reinforced by externally, not just for yourself. So it's going to be a smidgen easier next time to do the same thing. So I think you're pointing on the wall to your team core values. Do you want to share what they are? Sure. So we have above and beyond. So we always go above and beyond. We exceed expectations. We're responsive. We're transparent. We go the extra mile. Team focused is we understand that we come into work every day and some of the actions we take today that may be stressful and unpleasant to us may not have a short-term payoff to us personally and may never have a payoff to us personally, but they make life better for our team and for the people that we serve. We're grateful. We're appreciative. We're humble. You know, we celebrate the small things. We're growth oriented. So we don't rest on our laurels. We don't accept the status quo. We're willing to shake things up. We're willing to break things and we're willing to make mistakes. Takes ownership. With the willingness to make mistakes comes the radical responsibility required to take full ownership of both your mistakes and your gifts. Yes. Can we just talk about that for a smidge? Sure. Because responsibility has a bit of a bad rap. People equate responsibility with blame. Yes. You take responsibility for something. It's usually a mistake and then you're getting blamed for it. And then you can beat yourself up and go in the gap, right? But it actually means able to respond. Yes. That's If you break out the word responsibility, that means what it means. This is one of the team success points, which is why I'm stressing a little bit. It actually means you take responsibility for what you, you know, screwed up on. You take ownership. Yeah. So you take ownership over what didn't work, but that means you also need to take ownership over what you do well. And when someone gives you a compliment, you say, thank you. Thank you. Or you're welcome. You know, you don't just bounce it off and you're not blind or ignorant about how, what your contribution is. And I think that's a really key point. And it goes a little bit against, you know, what people would consider the norm, but in terms of a healthy contributing team, taking responsibility for your wins as well as your mistakes, it makes all the difference in the world. And that's who I want to play on a team with. 100%. I don't want to play with someone who's going to bounce off both the compliments or the mistakes. It's like, oh, just go away. Exactly. And you know what? It's really interesting that we're focusing on the 
being able to take responsibility and ownership of your gifts, because the thing that we all play for at the end of the day is confidence. That's what we're all playing for, right? At some level. And you can never have confidence if you don't own your gifts. So if you don't take ownership for all the ways that you contribute and that you bring joy and happiness or healing or whatever it is that you bring to the world, then you're always outsourcing that power to someone to give me validation that I've got the goods, right? And that's painful. That creates neediness. That sucks people's energy. So take ownership. And then the one that goes after that is enjoys the work because we want to hang out with people who, because they own their gift. Well, guess what happens when you own the gift? You enjoy the work. Now, when it gets hard, you're like, hey, I'm developing the gift. It's worth it. That's huge. These are awesome values. Yeah. Don't outsource the power. Ooh, I wrote that down. Yeah. That was really good. Yes. (laughs) I see this a lot with our community is people outsource their truth. They outsource their power. They're like, give me clarity. And I'm like, clarity is an inside job. I can help you move whatever you've got in the way out of the way. I can't give you something that you own. Mm. This is such good coaching. I can see why you're so outrageously successful. I love it. Clarity is an inside job. Heck yes. I love that. All right. So fun talking to you about the mindsets for team success, how to be a great entrepreneur, how to give people room to grow, how to provide room for unicorns to actually create and not have to compete and create that safety. There's so many neat things that we've talked about. But before we close off, I want you to share why you wrote the book. Mm. Because I think I know that I cannot wait to get my copy. So let's talk about the book and then we'll let people know how to get a hold of you. And hopefully this is the first of many fun conversations we've done. I would love that. So why I wrote the book. So I've been wanting to write a book since I was 12. So I started writing when I was 10 because I almost flunked English language. And my father, horrified that anyone carrying his DNA could flunk English because he used to win awards for his English. He made us write. <laughs> he made us write three essays a week or we couldn't go out to play. No, You don't yeah. mess with Indian parents. Indian parents are pretty hardcore. They don't care if their popularity polls drop in the toilet. So to his credit, he made it really interesting. So he would cut images out of magazines and create fictitious characters in our scrapbooks. And then we would write reviews of our favorite bedtime stories. If we went out on a family outing, we would write a, a report. You would write reviews of your bedtime yeah. story? Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yes. Awesome. So cool. And then he would sit and painstakingly create and correct my work. So he'd be like, here's how you craft a really strong headline. You know, here are the different pieces of an essay, the the intro, the body, the conclusion. Here's how you bring things full circle. Here's how you use metaphors. Here's the difference between a metaphor and a simile. All of these things. And I learned them in doing them, which is my favorite way to learn. So you've been training in media since you were 10. 10. Okay. Yeah. But so this is the thing. It's not because I'm smarter. I just want to be really clear about this. Everybody thinks that they hear this and they think, wow, she's so smart. No, I'm not smart. I almost flunked English language. Remember where the story began. I almost flunked a paper and then my father was outraged. The advantage that I have over everybody listening there who thinks I'm really smart or that I'm lucky or whatever is yes, I am lucky that I had a coach really early on. The best time to have gotten a coach is when you were 10. The next best time is now. Yeah. So get a coach, like get somebody who can help you refine your thinking and push you through your resistance because you never know what will wait for you. For me, it meant I could move anywhere in the world. I live in Montreal. I grew up in Mumbai. I lived in Singapore. I lived in England. I live in Montreal now. I run a multi-billion dollar company. Like this is what's available when you push through your resistance and own your gift. So the reason I wrote this book Now you'll think like, wow, she's so smart. No, 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 no. Let me explain to you how this worked. So since I was 12 then, I was like, I'm going to write a book. I'm 41 as of this recording. Yeah, this is my first book, just so we're clear. So for all of this time, I've had all these half dead, half finished manuscripts, fiction, nonfiction, essays, short stories, you name it. I've done it. I've tried it. I've ditched it. It's living on some computer hard drive that, you know, I've given up and sold or whatever. I never could do it. And the problem is the more that the time went on, the more the pressure mounted because God knows if you've been wanting to write a book since you were 12 and then at 40, you wrote this one, it's gotta be good. And I'm like, don't know if it's that good. It's not that good, right? It's not. So I've gotten really good thanks to my coaching practice. I've gotten really good at coaching myself through resistance. And I knew that the way to do it was to take the focus off the product. I was like, okay, 
why do I want to write a book? So I go back to toddlerhood, the why, right? Why? What is the feeling? So I go back to my want practice. I want to write a book. Okay, great. What is it that I want to feel? I want to feel competent. I want to feel confident. I want to develop my thought leadership. I want to do all these things. Okay, but why? Because I want to feel capable. It's a capability that I was trying to build. And I was like, oh, who do I know who talks about this? Dan. What does Dan do? Dan writes four books a year, a book a quarter. I already have a blueprint for it. I know exactly. I'm really good at looking at someone's process and backwards engineering it. And plus, I have you guys on speed dial. So I could just pick up the phone and call, which I did. And so I put together our process and I was like, okay, this is what I asked. And this is what I offer anyone who's listening that has a big audacious goal that is attached to some deep personal significance, right? If you're like, I need to be successful. I need to make a million dollars. I need to launch a company. I need to live this, like whatever this purpose is that you want to live. What would make it worth it? This is the question I asked myself, the ponderism. What would make it worth it if I never sold a single copy? What would make it worth it if everybody thought this book was shite? What would make it worth it to me? And I was like, all right. And first I had to like wander around and shake my body out because I was like, ooh, the idea of people thinking it's shite, that really hurts, oh. But I had to let it go. Like I had to move through that resistance. And what I found on the other side was I want to know myself. This was a tool for me to understand my own work better. And it is an amazing tool for that. I want to build a team. I have my Shannon. So her name's Maria. So I co-wrote it with Maria. So I didn't do it unsupported. I did it supported. I did it my way which Dan offered me an amazing blueprint for, of course. I wanted to build a team around. I wanted to learn how to run a project like this. And I was like, you know what? So now if the first book sucks, no big deal. I'm already writing the second book and I will keep writing them for 20 years. And at some point, if I put in the hours and I put in the process, I will get really dang good at this. Yeah. Two things come to mind. One is the book is the byproduct. Yes. Right. The goal is to build a big team to be capable and do that. The other thing is it actually goes back to the mindsets you talked about with your clients at the beginning is it doesn't have to be perfect the first time. It doesn't. You know, and Dan and I actually went back in the studio and we re-recorded the audio for the second book, which is the Four Seeds Growth Formula. And it's like, we know so much more now. Now, is it perfect? Are we in the gap about it? No, not at all. Like to both of those things. But it was perfect then. And it's going to be even more perfect now. So I'm excited. So how to live your vision and the cover is gorgeous and it's very accessible. So how can people find it and how can people find you? Yes. So it's called how to live your vision, manifest your dream reality in less than 15 minutes a day. You can get it on Amazon. So just go to Amazon. That's probably the easiest way and look me up. I'm on social. So if you're on Instagram, I'm at Life with Gita. So that's Gita with two E's, G-E-E-T-A, Life with Gita. I'm on Facebook. If you happen to be a coach or a consultant and are looking to create a business that is an extension of your spiritual practice, then I'm your people. In which case, I have a free Facebook group where I do a weekly training for free to help you develop. Because I know that if I can help grow you, then you're going to come to me for that scaling the scaled growth, right? So we do a live every week and it's deep training. You'll get more. We consistently hear people say, I got more out of that one free 30 minute training than I did out of my last $5,000 program. So come get it. And if you don't mind, and if we have time, I'll tell you the story of how we ended up giving away the profits. So a hundred percent of the profits from the sale of the book go to Operation Underground Railroad, which is a nonprofit dedicated to eradicating human trafficking. So it rescues mostly women and children from sex trafficking, which is prevalent, shockingly prevalent, even here in North America when nobody talks about it and everybody thinks we're safe. It's an interesting story of how it ended up being this. The cause, of course, is like, if you like children and think children should go to bed not sexually exploited. I mean, this is your cause. <laughs> At some level, this is everybody's yeah. cause. Yeah. This is important. But it was interesting because I've been lucky and I live kind of the high ticket life, right? Our program is a premium product and I don't make small sales anymore. And so I was really kind of the heaviness of doing a book launch the way I see it done I just wanted to slit my wrists. I was just like, I just can't get out of bed for $20 sales. Like, it's just too painful. I can't do it. I can't do the circus of it. I want the work to be out there, but I don't want to do it that way. That felt really gross to me. 
So I was like, okay, I have a lot of resistance around promoting the book. Like, oh, wow. So I'm going to spend all this money and time and energy developing a team and all this stuff and writing a book and what? And I don't want to promote it. So I was like, okay, what would move me? So I asked myself, so I pondered the question, what would make it worth it? <laughs> what would make the money worth it? And I realized that the only way the money would be worth it is if I gave it away. That's what would grow its value to me. The $10 was meaningless to me, but that $10 could be really meaningful in the right hands. That's when the ideas collided. And I was like, I'm going to give away every penny. And that also took away any resistance that I had to be like, hey, buy my book. I'm like, no, buy my book. I'm serious. Like, If you hate my book and you think I'm a completely crap writer, it will still be worth it because you'll have saved a child from sexual exploitation. Mm. So. I love that. Gita, you are so much fun to talk to. And as usual, our conversations go all over the place. Yeah. I'm not much of a container, I've decided. <laughs> but I've really enjoyed talking about your want practice. You know, it's so, you know, synergistic with what Dan has discovered too. And the pondering and the questions and the alignment and your core values, which are phenomenal. And the whole conversation about how to create an environment for really star players to show up and be with you for the long term, mm-hmm. not just to have them bounce, which is a big concern for a lot of people. And just who you are and creating more opportunity for other people, including people who, you know, are being exploited right now, you know, which you're helping them through their books. So I just appreciate you. And you kind of talk like I do. You're fun and you're funny. And I just love that. So fun, as I said at the beginning, to have like-minded friends whose, you know, values and beliefs and what we're up to are so similar. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being my buddy and for being on the podcast. And I cannot wait to do an author interview with you. Oh my God, yes. How to Live Your Vision. I just want to say I'm such a huge fan. I have listened to every podcast episode many twice. I have forwarded them to so many people. I have given away so many copies of Team Success to like rando strangers on airplanes and stuff. Seriously, because I'm like, oh, dude, you got to read this book. (laughs) Because they'll like talk to me and they'll be like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. Oh, yeah, I've been having this problem. I'm like, I have a book for you. It's in my purse. Give me a second. And then I'm like, okay, I need to order more books. Damn it. So thank you for being such a light. Thank you for your beautiful voice and diction that, you know, as someone who's worked in the radio, I can only admire. This is such a fangirl moment for me. I can't believe I get to be here. This is so fun. Mm. To, like listening to a show, to being on it, it never gets old. It's so cool. Thank you. I totally agree. Well, we'll definitely have you back. Well, thank you, Gita. A real pleasure. And I cannot wait to have How to Live Your Vision be a huge, huge success for multiple reasons. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.